0: Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting SPARKSWillFly as one word, APP to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. How many knows those who appreciate the veterans? Come on, let's be thankful for them. And um, also, too, if you want to help, um, if you want to help us with what we do on Wednesday nights with the kids, if that's something in your heart that you want to help with, uh, if you will, please uh, see uh, Stanton and Abby or Stanton or um, whoever you could see, but see one of them. And let them know say hey I'm very interested in helping uh, with the kids on Wednesday night and so we do, we don't just need uh, teachers uh, we just need helpers in uh, what we do um, I think that Wednesday night was our largest uh, crowd I know in one class we had 53 so I told Catherine I, I really see that going to the state that we need at least 60 kids to the classroom no, I'm playing. so we're going to have to downsize the classrooms and we're going to we just need helpers with that. So if that's something that you want to do, um, come see us and uh, we can get you plugged in on that. We, we definitely need a uh, team to help do that. And so uh, anyhow, last night we were supposed to do the movie night in the park. And so uh, we just uh, felt like with the weather coming in, we postponed that. It be kind of hard, you know, in 40 degrees out there watching watching a movie. And um, so we're going to postpone that and we're going to get that, uh, get that going. So, all right, let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Thank you, Alec Mac, I'm good. Thank you. Romans chapter 8 and grab Ephesians chapter 1. Um, we're going to just jump in here and teach uh, for this a little bit. Obviously, I've been on a journey really for 20 plus years now, but. I've really been on a journey the past month or so, uh, and, and so I've been writing a bunch of stuff, and uh, I don't know if this is going to come out like a, like a meat lover's, I don't know, you know what I'm saying, this is going to have a little bit of everything in it, but I really want to talk about our identity as uh, sons and daughters of God, and I want to talk about the things that distract that view or distort that view, and then I want to go into how uh, we handle messes and we handle people. And so I've just got a little bit of all of that going in on there. So Romans chapter 8, and I also want to pull some scriptures out of uh, Ephesians chapter 1 uh, around verse 5. And we'll just start there, and we'll just uh, see where we can uh, end up at. So Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the for the power of your word, God. And so Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning that... Um, that you're just going to, your word's already anointed. I'm the one that needs to help. I pray that you open up our ears, and I pray this morning, Father, that you would go to the real depths of our heart, Father. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you like a light, like a just, the cut of, just a light on into our heart and expose the, the lies and the, and the false things that we have believed about you that is just simply not true. Father, you're a good God, and I pray this morning when we leave this place, we will, catch, we will catch a glimpse of you and just how good you are in Jesus' name. Amen. How many wants that? Yeah. All right, so let's get, in, let's get into this. Romans 8, very classic uh, uh, scripture here. I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation. And so, um, but Romans 8, 14 says, Sons and daughters destined for glory. Uh, that's the headline there that uh, Brian Simmons has got here. Uh, uh, verse 14, the nature, the mature. Catherine said, I got to get some readers. I definitely need some readers. I'm up here. I mean, this is looking like calligraphy. So, uh, <laughs> But I went to the daughter. and he said, I didn't need no readers. But I'm telling you, it's a little bit scrambled down there. So listen, the, the mature, not the nature, but the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of their flesh come on now the mature children of God are those who mo- are moved by the impulses what of the Holy Spirit other words we can just hear the little tender whispers of the voice of God and 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 you did not receive look at this the spirit of religious duty the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of of never being good enough. My God, I love the passion. But you have received the spirit, look at this, of what? Full acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Verse 17, since we are his children, we qualify. Who qualifies? Who qualifies? I do. Look at your neighbor and say, I qualify for something. He just said it. What do you qualify? To share all of his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself, and since we are joined to Christ, we are also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. My God, that's a text right there. That's good right there. Come on, somebody. If I don't even say nothing else, that's good. All right. Let's go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. I mean, there's just one thing to just read that and shout about it. It's another thing to live in that. God wants us to live in it. He wants that to be a reality every day that we measure up and that we're good enough. He wants to bring out the self-sabotage and the self-hatred out of our hearts. Knowing that what he did on the cross was good enough and now that we measure up. Come on. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. It was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his children. Through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. How much does God love you? Just as much as he loves Jesus. The same love that he has for Jesus is the same love that he has for us. And this unfolding plan... Brings him great pleasure. God's excited about us. Come on, you all right? Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood. The total, look at this, the total cancellation of our sins. Come on now. (laughs) I love it. Boy, you can tell when you're in a Pentecostal church. People start getting nervous right here. Look at this. Hot, <laughs> y'all. Right. Listen to this. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by His blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of His grace. Look at this. This super. This. This super. Uh, <laughs> I can't even hardly read this. Y'all pray. Somebody pray in tongues right now. Since we are joined to Christ, we have been, forg- we have been given the treasures and the redemption of his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, uh, all because of this cascading riches of his grace. All right. Now, listen to this. I have given out now, I think about maybe, I don't know, about eight copies. I bought one this morning, David uh, brought here, and I gave it away. But I, I got a book a couple of, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, and so somebody bought me the book, and they had been listening to a podcast, and this guy on this podcast had quoted this author a couple of times, and so they, they felt like they was to get the book. The book is by Brendan Manning. He was, a, I guess, a Catholic priest, and the book is simply called uh, Trust, uh, 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 Roofless Trust, Learning How to Trust the Lord. And so, anyhow, I got this book, and I started reading it, and I just, like, was highlighting, I mean, all kind of stuff. First of all, he quotes, like, maybe, I don't know, 30 to, 30 to 40 authors in the book. I mean, so he's, he's very well, very well uh, schooled and very well studied. And so, I just begin to look at this, and then I begin to see areas in my own heart of where I really did not trust God. In, his, in one of his books, he writes... Um, he writes, uh, called Abba's Child. He gives a story of a young boy named Ruler, and Ruler in this, at uh, the story of this young boy named Ruler, who is a, just a young peasant boy. He doesn't have much. His family's just dirt poor, and so Ruler happens to be out in the woods one day, and he sees a wounded turkey, and he says, "I thought, well, I'll chase that turkey and I'll catch that turkey." But then he had this other thought: "Well, maybe God would." not allow me to get this turkey. I don't know if God would even... Allow me to even have this turkey. But so ruler finally says, Well, I shouldn't think that way about God. God's supposedly good, so I'll just run and see if I can catch this turkey. Well, as ruler runs and catches this turkey, he 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 finally catches the turkey and he takes and drops it over his shoulder and he has this thought, My God, God has allowed me to catch this turkey. I need to repent of the thoughts that I had about God and that God helped me catch it. And so now Ruler's headed back into town and he's got a 10-pound turkey on him. His chest is bowed out, and so he gets into town, and these different ones start asking ruler, where did you get that turkey? He said, I ran it down. I ran it down in the woods. And finally someone comes up to ruler and asks him, can he hold the turkey? And as they begin to hold the turkey and look, his mind drifts off, and he realizes when when he comes back as he's thinking about the turkey, he realizes that the two dudes that asked to hold the turkey, they stole the turkey from him. And so then he takes off on his journey home, and as he starts running home, he realizes it's getting dark. He feels like something's chasing him through the woods, and he has all this thoughts of why would God give him such a great prize and then snatch it back? But let me just say this. Most Christians live with that view of God. When God bestows his goodness upon us, God is, God is actually in a good mood that day. Come on, y'all. Uh, God is in a good mood that day, so God has bestowed something great upon me. And what does the greatness of God do and the goodness of God does? It causes tenderness to come into your heart and gratitude towards God, so we want to draw near to God in that moment. Come on now. But what happens when troubles hit or when life happens, we begin to view our relationship with God that we must be paying for something that we've done wrong or maybe because we've not lived or measured up to, to what we thought or what religion has told us we should measure up, God becomes at a distance. Therefore, it makes services when we gather together and we have worship services like we did this morning. It makes it a struggle for people to enter in that type of level of worship because we have this distant relationship with God. Y'all, right? All right, we don't have to cut the cut the heat back. How many how many cold or hot? Raise your hand. How many's hot? I uh, pulled his heat back a little bit. I'm a little bit warm too, and I got insulation on, you know. So, look at, listen to this. Paul, this is the author that Paul Tillich defines trust as the courage. Listen to this. He defines to trust the Lord in this. Trust is defined this: the courage to accept acceptance. It is the courage to accept this morning. We're not not trying to get God's approval of us. He's already approved of us. It's the courage to accept that I'm already accepted. Whether Whether I'm down here worshiping, whether I'm on a three day fast, come on somebody, whether I'm reading my word every night, God has already accepted me. I'm fully accepted, and God's trying to get us to live from that place of full acceptance that He has already secured us. For John says, as He is, so are we in this world. When you read that verse, what? how, how is Jesus today? Jesus is glorified, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So as He is, so are we. What are we? We are also glorified, seated with Christ in heavenly places. My God, that is good news. Uh, now listen. So, so trust is, is is the courage to accept acceptance. Walter Kasper says this, Experiencing God's love in Jesus Christ means experience that one has been unreservedly accepted, approved, infinitely loved, that one can and should accept oneself and one's neighbor. What I found in my walk, and I've seen about to being in it enough that one thing is sometimes it's easy to forgive somebody else, but the hardest one is to forgive is yourself for your own failures. Yeah. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter if we're holding unforgiveness against someone or unforgiveness of ourselves. We've got to learn how to trust God that God has already accepted us, and we've got to accept the fact that we have been accepted in the Lord. Now, so we, we went over a couple weeks ago. On Wednesday night, um, where I was, I gave the story of a failure that happened in leadership and how the church responds to that. So, what I want to talk about just for a minute is this script of what we call self hatred. Are you with me? Listen, to this self hatred starts with the dis- with the distorted view of God. All sin starts with a distorted view of God. Other words, we. S- Listen, what religion has told us is if I'm going to get it, I got to look out for myself instead of trusting that God is looking out for me, providing for me every day. The main things that we worry about, have fear and anxiety over is what Jesus told us we should never worry about. Come on somebody. He says, consider the lilies, consider the birds. They neither toil nor work yet your heavenly father takes good care of them. How much more to me are you than the sparrows? Come on somebody. If God is being faithful to look after a sparrow, how much more will he be faithful to look after you? It is a simple fact of leaning into his goodness saying God I matter to you I'm important to you 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 are taking care of every detail in my life and learning how to trust that from a place of rest am I the only one that deals with fear up in this room come on somebody we, we, this is where I'm trying to get at in my own I, I'm not there so listen to this the script of self hatred starts with this distorted view of God this happened, this distorted view of God came after the fall of man when, when, when God showed up to Adam in the garden and he said, H- you know, why are you, why are you hiding? He said, I'm naked. How many knows in Genesis 2, 25, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. Now, after their eyes was opened because the, the serpent was more crafty than any animal in, in, in the woods, when he deceived Eve and their eyes were open instead of becoming like God like they thought, but they were already, they became like the enemy, open to uh, their own nakedness. Now in that nakedness, what did he do? Adam created fig leaves and he started what? Hiding from God. We're still creating fig leaves around our life and we still live in relationship hiding from God. God didn't leave him like that. God created an animal skin to go on him. Look at how good God is. God didn't allow fig leaves that would wither on him, but he put something that would sustain him and keep him safe in the elements of the environment in which he was headed into. God is a good father. Now, so this, this self-hatred started with a distorted view of God. God, listen to this. God made man in his image, Brendan Manning says, and man returned the compliment by making God in his own image. Listen, when we see that God is holy, the word holy literally means other. The word means other, opposite, other. He is distinct all by himself. So I can come in here and worship God and tell him he's holy. If I'm broke, he's other. He's not like me. Come on, somebody. If I'm sick when I worship him, I say, God, you're holy. He's other. He's not like me. If I'm depressed, he's other. Come on, somebody. Whatever I need, he is other than that. And what man has done because in our fallen state, in our long-distance relationship with God, we've made God out to look exactly like us. How many knows God's ways are not your ways? His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll listen to this. So man returned the compliment by making God in his own image. The mechanism of protect, a projection, is a process of unwittingly ascribing to God our own attitudes and feelings as unconscious defense of our own inadequate and guilt. So, other words, I feel bad about myself. Come on, somebody. I feel bad about John. And if I feel bad about John, God's got to feel bad about John. But the reality is God never feels bad about John. (laughs) The reality is, God is never upset with me. Come on, somebody! God is never looked down in anger towards me. Religion has sold us that, friend. You cannot find it in the Word of God. Most people live with an old covenant mindset, trying to live in a New Testament church. You cannot do it. Paul writes to the, Paul writes to the Galatians. Listen, you got to serve one or two. you, you can't mix them up. We're a son of the promise. We live under Isaac, the free woman. Come on, somebody. All right. So because I feel bad about John and because I see John jacked up, then obviously God's got to see me that way. But God never sees you that way. God never sees you that way. That's why when he prophesies to you, he don't never prophesy to where you're at. Man may tell you where you're at, but God will never tell you where you're at. God is always prophesying over your life to the way he sees you. And he is Alpha Omega. He's already been to the end. Come on. He's not the beginning and the end. He is that all at the same time. He can step on the train anywhere he wants to. Come on, somebody. So when he prophesies to me, he prophesies destiny and purpose, the thing which he destined me to do before I ever got here. All right. So let's look at this. This distorted view of God. Now think about it. We're what? What do we read tonight? We fully accepted what? We're fully accepted in the beloved. It has always been God's plan to adopt us what? As his beloved children. His love cascades over me. And I have been totally forgiven of what? All my sins. It has always been God's plan what? To adopt us. We went a couple of weeks ago, uh, John Bentley, um, I'm not going to reveal his shooting ability. Anyhow, he shoots this deer, not, not in a great shot. And he got all excited. He had done watched them for about 10 or 15 minutes and said, we didn't want to shoot this particular deer. But this particular deer would not seem to leave. And so then this particular deer gets, gets curious and gets too close to us and spots us and then going out there carrying on. And when she started blowing, I told John Mintley to kill her. Take her out. You know what I'm saying? And so he had done got worked out, and he shoots. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know about that. And he said, I snatched the trigger, and I said, okay. So anyhow, we find some white hair and some leg muscle and all this stuff. I knew this wasn't good. So this led on to getting till we call someone about bringing a dog. When we call someone about bringing a dog, then this, didn't this guy that brings his dog to look for this deer, which was a phenomenal deer dog, he tells my children that, "Hey, I'm going to buy another dog, and this lady's got these dogs for sale." Well, what you think happened? Dad buys a dog. <laughs> huh? Jesus, Lord, have mercy. So my oldest son's gonna pay for it. He's going i don't know how he's paying for it, but he's gonna pay for it. I guess he's got to run the tab one day. He's gonna catch up or whatever. But anyhow, so we we got a dog. But let me say this: when we went to go look at the dogs, they was all out there, you know, running whatever. And so I said, "Well, get which one you want to get." And so I kind of felt bad when I got in the truck because we got two of them. The guy that was with us, got one, and they left the last one. I was like, you know, I was kind of breaking down in my heart on the way home. Like, man, I ought to just buy the other one so the other one won't be left alone. But let me tell you something. God it was always in his plan. He wanted us. He wanted us. He's always wanted the relationship with us one on one, not through a man, a relationship through a priest to us. He's wanted one on one relationship. He told that to Moses, go tell them I want to make them a peculiar people. I want to make them a, I want to make them a royal identity. I want to make them a nation all under themselves. Go tell them, come up this mountain and meet with me. But it was the fear when they saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the cloud of smoke on the mountain. It was the fear that kept them away from God instead of moving into God. Now listen to this. The fear of God, the, the authentic fear of God will drive you to God. The fear of punishment will drive you away from God. So think about this. The enemy is not dumb. He attacks everything what? In its infant state. So in our, in our youthfulness, this is where we learn about the image of God. Now, what does it say? How does all of this break down? It breaks down with what? A distorted view of God. Where do we get this distorted view of God? We get it from mom and dad. We get it from school teachers. And we definitely pick a lot of it up from preachers. You with me? All right, can I read you something? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm all right. All right. And we're not going to preach long because I'm I'm already hungry, okay? All right. Listen to this. I'm going to read you this. Much of the distortion that does enter into our notion of God is introduced in each person's formative period, his youth. Listen to this. From his parent, a child learns of a God who strongly disapproves of, a, of disobedience. Now, let's say this. Let me just go on and say this because I'm one of them. We wear as a badge of honor this in the South. Boy, if I messed up, daddy beat me down. Come on. How many men in here? Come on, me included. Boy, when I messed up, Daddy beat me down. And look how I turned out. If it was good enough for me, it's going to be good enough for them. What happens in that scenario is they learn when disapproval happens, God will beat them down. Listen, discipline is not for the adult. Oh, my God. I'm A lot of times... Let me just, I just—I can't preach from your word. I got to preach from mine. My dad would come in, and I remember my dad, my dad had a lazy boy recliner. And when he got in in the afternoon, my job was to pull my, I, I love pulling my dad's boots off. But when I was cutting up, if, if the lazy boy ever collapsed all in one motion, it was over with. <laughs> Daddy was not whipping me because he wanted me to learn something. He was whipping me because he was aggravated at what I was doing, and it made him feel better. That's why he come in there and told me these stories like it hurts me worse than it hurts you. I'm like, you get on the other end of the belt. Let's see who is hurting. <laughs> then we were, I'm man, I'm telling you, my family going to watch his laugh. Then we had to come out in the living room. You couldn't stay in the bedroom and cry about it. You had to come out in the living room, and my dad would get back in the Lazy Boy, and you would be over there trying to hold it back, and he would give you this famous saying, boy, dry it up. Now I'm going to give you something to cry about. Listen, listen. I'm not talking about not this one. I can, there ain't know why I can preach all this in an hour. Okay, listen to this. Much of the distortion that does enter into our notion of God is introduced in a person's formative period, his youth. From his parents, a child learns of a God who strongly disapproves of disobedience. And hitting one's brothers and sisters and telling lies, the youngster goes to school and finds that God also shares the many concerns, sometimes fussy ones. Of his teachers. At church, the pastor's God has somewhat a different set of priorities. First and foremost is the urgency of growing the church, quadrupling the membership in three years. Though it is beyond his own horizon of interest, the child is aware that God often makes reoccurring and emphatic fiscal demands upon the people. Look at this. When he reaches the age for high school, he finds that God's own interests have expanded. He's obsessed now with sex and drinking and drugs. Listen to this. After he emerges from his youth altogether, he discovers sometimes with resentment that God has been used as a sanction for all those who were responsible for his discipline. When he used to covert a bit mischievously at home, his mother might reach the end of her patience and persuasiveness and threaten. When daddy comes home, ah, come on, mom, she ain't never used this. When daddy comes home, he'll take care of you. But if mom and daddy are both at their wits' end, there is always the eternal spanking of which they can and do elude. God is therefore thus is unwilling unwittingly associated with fear. The Christian world, which is incessantly projects its own God, fashioned after its own image, pays a heavy price. Listen to this. In anxiety, how many people's on anxiety medication? Where is this coming from? It's coming from the internal world of the heart. A heavy price and anxiety. They see sin where there is no sin and a vague sense of essential guilt. Listen to this. The feelings come from within ourselves and are projected outward into the mind of God. We may find that we punish ourselves merciless for real or imagined sins. And even then... We will not forgive ourselves. I remember counseling um, a, a, a person one time. This is several years ago. But one of the things that they could not get over was they believed that they had committed the unpardonable sin, which was blaspheme the Holy Ghost. I said, the fact that you are alive tells me that you did not blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Come on, y'all. All right. All right. for real or imagined sins, and even then we will not forgive ourselves. Fortunately, Christ has revealed the real God to us in unmistakably human form, exposed projections for the idolatry that it is, and given us the way to become free from it. It takes a profound conversion to accept the belief that God is tender and loves us just as we are. See, we've quoted this in church. God loves me the way I am, but, but he loves me too much to leave me the way way I am. That is an oxymoron. What you're saying is God does love me, but he really don't love me because of where I'm at today. The only thing that's going to stop you from sinning is not me up here preaching how bad sin is in your life. It is when you fall in a deep love relationship that then you take on that sin doesn't separate me from God, but it damages my communion with the Father. And when you're in love with someone, come on somebody, you don't want anything to damage that connection and that communion. We've tried to do this with our kids. When I was in middle school, I had something called sex education. I don't even know if we do that anymore. But they showed us all kind of images. They showed us images of stuff looked like it was falling off, scared the death out of us. Come on, how many remember that? If you're in your, your, your early 40s or whatever, you saw those images. How many knows by the time you got to high school, 11th grade, when your hormones were going through the roof, Fear did not that fear did not stop you. that fear did not keep you holy before God. but yet we in the church are obsessed with fear and we use it to manipulate to manipulate people and our relationship with God. Let me say this, if you cannot find it in the life of Jesus, you have to question what you believe. You have to question what you believe if you cannot find it in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus is the fullness of God on the earth. Come on, somebody. And, yes. on. All right, listen to this. It takes a profound, listen this. It takes a profound, profound conversion. Other words, I'm talking about a deep conversion, a deep experience to accept the belief that God is tender and he loves us just as we are, not in spite of our sins and faults, but with them. God does not condone or sanction evil, but he does not withhold his love because there is evil in us. Oh, my God. The key to this understanding is the way we feel about ourselves. We cannot even stand or accept love from another human being when we do not love ourselves. It is impossible for you to love your neighbor until you learn how to love you. We cannot even stand or accept love from another human being when we do not love ourselves, much less believe or accept that God could possibly love us. Now, let's go right here to 1 John chapter 4. Y'all all right? Mm. 1 John chapter 4. All right. 1 John chapter 4. I'm in verse 17. No, verse 16. God is what? Love. God's trying to love me. No, God is love. Look at this. Those who are living in love are what? Living in who? God. And God lives through them. By living in God... Love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fiercely, look at this, fiercely, fearlessly face the day of judgment. I was raised in church every Sunday. Somebody asked this prayer in there. Pray that I'm just going to stay true to the end. Pray that I'm just going to hold on and stay true to the end. If you know, (laughs) come on, y'all. Listen, help me out. Look at this. Look, what it says, by living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may what? Fearlessly face the day of judgment. Because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. What do we establish? Jesus is what? Glorified, where is he at? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. If Jesus is at, the Bible says, so is he, so are we. What are you glorified? Where are you sitting? At the right hand of the Father. You're not trying to get to heaven, friend. Oh, oh, oh. love never what? Listen, love never what? Love never brings what? Fear. Love never brings fear. For fear is always what? Related to what? Punishment. Boy, I'm going to kill you. Boy, I'm going to kill you. This is why I used the post that Havela Cunnington put up, and this is what she said. Religion. I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Where did we learn that? We learned that in the house. Because mama told us when daddy come home, you was getting beat down. Huh? How many was raised in the family where you messed up and you want to run straight to your dad and tell him you messed up? Dad, I made a great mistake today. Uh, Dad, I just, I couldn't wait to get home to tell you that I got three F's on my report card. I couldn't wait to get home. I mean, I asked the bus driver, she'd speed up so that I could get home today and tell you I got three F's on my report card. What happens? I I'm trying to help you. I'm, I'm I'm trying to help me. Because let me tell you something, what I've come to realize. I cannot control a almost 6-foot, almost 16-year-old boy. I cannot control him. I cannot control him. And what we do, because we operate out of fear, we tend to control that which we fear, such as our kids getting bad grades. So if you get a bad grade, we beat you down. But you never change the behavior of the child. What you did was make them comply to the rules. Y'all getting anything? Come on, y'all all right with this? Which is what we do in our church environment. That's why we don't want you to cuss, smoke, drink, fornicate, because we want you to comply with the rules. Because when you don't comply to the rules, you make me look bad and the church look bad. And we're really not concerned if the person's changed or repented or had a real encounter with God. What we're really concerned about is our image before society. Oh, my God. Come on. All right. So look at this. Where where was we at? i got to finish reading this. So as we are in this world, how are you in this world? You're glorified where you said it at, right hand of the Father. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. I started to play this because I showed this. I think it was Terry the other day. That how many seen the? Uh, I think it's a Reebok commercial. With is it Terry Tate in there? Whatever the linebacker. How many seen that commercial? Where they hired him at their firm. Have you seen that commercial? Just Google this. Just go on YouTube and put Reebok commercial Terry Tate. He's one of them. Got some. If you if you're holding this, some of the language might affect you. On one of them that he's one of them that's clean. It's like a minute or something. So what it is, is guy's playing cards. He's playing cards, and he, he shows him he wins solitary, and he jumps up from his computer, and he's like, whoa, You know what I'm saying? He just won a game of solitary, and Terry Tate just hits him and just decleats him in there. He said, no playing games in the office. This is the environment in which we're raised up in, and this is the environment of the church. Now, look at this. But fear always has to do with what? Punishment. So what did Havelock Cunnington post? Religion. I've messed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel. I've messed up. I really need to talk to my dad. Let me give you some hint here. How do you get the revelation of how deep the love of God is? It is in your failure when you respond to run to God and see the way he responds to you. That's when we really get the revelation of how good God really is. Now, listen to this. The punishment. I got this from Danny Silk. The punishment paradigm is this. Your identity is an orphan or a slave. Your core belief is my flaws and failures make me unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. I deserve this connection and punishment, and so does everyone else with flaws and failures. Motive. Fear of punishment and self And and the motive is fear, punishment, and disconnection. Behavior strategies. Avoid punishment either by hiding and fitting in through pleasing, perfecting, and performing. If I hide in this environment and I I learn how to be a people pleaser, then nobody will know my true self and I can hide who I really am. Because I'm a flawed person. Nobody don't need to get too close to me because I got flaws. The way I can see it, we all got flaws in this room. We all got makeup. Come on, somebody. We all trying to cover up the crow's feet or the road that ain't been caught up yonder. Come on, somebody. Come on. You don't see big people packing stuff in much. We trying to let, come on. We're all flawed in this room. But when I'm left in the old covenant mindset, I see myself unworthy, then why would you even want to have a relationship with me because you don't know how unworthy I am. And if I believe that about myself, guess what? I've also now turned in to project that on God that I believe God feels about me the way that I feel about me. Therefore, what happens is a broken trail of relationships in my life because I let people get so close, but they can't get no close. They can't get no closer to see the real me because if you saw the real me, come on, somebody, you would be displeased at what you saw. So the only way we're ever going to break free from shame and the thing and guilt and the things that slave us down and weigh us down is to live in what Brene Brown. If you don't get nothing else, you need to go home and watch a TED talk with Brene Brown and listen to her teach on shame. And she says the only way we will ever combat and overcome shame is by living in vulnerability. Vulnerability means this. It is the ability it is the ability to tell your whole story. The failures and all. How many knows that God didn't just take David's life and highlight the fact that he defeated a giant? He didn't just say, "This is a man after my God's own after after my own heart." He didn't just take the fact of the victories that he had. He also gave us the failures that he had to let us know, "Hey, a man can have failures, but he can get back up and live in my presence." Yeah. My God, this is good. So it's the ability to share our whole story, our whole story. How many knows this? You are not just your strengths. You are also your weaknesses. And there is more power when we talk about our weaknesses than when we talk about our strength. That's why Paul, when he showed up to the Corinthians, he said, I will not glorify in my strengths. I'm going to glorify in my weakness because God can choose the weak things of the world to confound the mind of the wise. That's why in my weakness, God is made what? Strong. Anybody getting anything? All right. So I'm either going to hide in the environment, I'm going to become a people pleaser. Oh, you need that done? I will actually get on it right now. you people pleaser. Performing. The other side is, I refuse to fit in by rebellion. I'm a long ranger. And making, I refuse by rebelling, and making my own rules. Punish others when they scare or hurt or offend me. You get me listening. I believe this It's an eye for an eye, a eye, tooth for a tooth. Get me. Come on. You know the reason why we're not beating the devil out there and just, just taking the world by storm? Because we can't get the crosshairs off each other in the church. We got all the weapons and we cutting people's ears all putting blades in people's back. Come on now. Let me tell you this: the spirit you fighting when you identify it with a face, you've already lost the war. That's good. I'll say it again: the spirit that you fighting when you put a face on that spirit, you've already lost the war. For we wrestle not against what flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. All right, you okay? I ain't got but nine more pages, but listen, I've done this while I know we ain't got to cover all of them. Look at you, neighbor. So praise God, he's grown. <laughs> Listen to this. Here's a shift. In the new covenant, God, in the new covenant, because of the cross and because of what Jesus did, Jesus came to pay the ultimate sacrifice. He came to pay the debt in full. No longer will we trust on the blood of bulls and goats. Come on, somebody. But he came to settle the sin debt for all. Not only did he settle that, he settled the wrath of God. He settled settled the wrath of God towards sin. God put every bit of his anger, every bit of the wrath on Jesus. He took the front of it. But yet we have people today, listen, we have people today, even Christians believe that God's about to destroy California because of the perversion. God doesn't judge a city based on the perversion. He judges a city based on light. Come on. Well, you know, man, I ain't going, well, you know, global warming, the the earth's just going, we all just going to drop off under the water. You know that? God's going to flood the earth. How many believe God's going to flood the earth? That is an absolute lie. He gave a promise to Noah and the sign of a covenant of a rainbow that said he would never flood the earth again. When God sent the flood, he did not do it out of anger. He did it out of sadness. You with me? God said from the time of the fall of man to Genesis 6 is also, we we covered this in a leadership meeting. From Genesis 3 to Genesis 6, a picture of that is in Romans chapter 1 where man's given fully over. When God said this, he said man's thought has become evil only. Is that what he said? And God said he was saddened at the fact that he made man. So the flood comes and then God He. the first place the word covenant enters into the Bible is with Noah. Y'all okay? Y'all looking at me like cowl at new gate here. He makes a covenant with Noah, and through Noah, he gives mankind an opportunity to clean shake the fresh start. All right. Let me quit chasing rabbits and get back. So in the new covenant paradigm, my identity is not a slave or an orphan. My identity is what? God has what? Adopted what? Us as what? Sons and daughters. I'm a son. This is the identity. When this becomes the identity, the core belief is, through Jesus, I have become a son or a daughter who is worthy of love, belonging, and connections. My mistakes do not disqualify me from the Father's love. Instead, they are precisely where I learned the depths of His love, forgiveness, and commitment to transform me into a mature, uh, into a mature, mature child. That's good. Let's read it again. In the New Covenant... My identity is a son or a daughter of God. My core belief is through Jesus I have become a son or daughter who is worthy of love, belonging and connection. My mistakes do not disqualify me from the father's love. Instead, they are precisely where I learn the depths of his love, forgiveness, commitment to transform me into a m- mature child who into a mature child. Now let's say this. How many knows this in marriage? In your marriage it's hard to believe but I have I have upset Catherine about 3 times. She's upset me about 9 I think, but I'm not counting. How many knows that when when there is a break You with me? If there's broken connection right here. When we restore the when we restore the connection What happens in the relationship? A deeper trust comes into the relationship. Every time the connection and we can sit in there and she say, we got to talk about this. Man says, I'm sorry. That ought to be good enough. No, we got to talk about what happened. But when we talk through what happens, uh, let me get back right. Listen, when (laughs) when we work through what happens, Lord, I'm trying to get sidetracked here. When we we work through what happens, a deeper trust comes into that relationship. And what she knows now is I can come to him and I can address him without him packing his bags and leaving because he's proven every time that he works through this. This is how trust is developed and how maturity gets established in the believer's life. In your failures, when you go to God, and He doesn't break your neck, but He pulls you into His love, and He begins to put His finger. Come on, somebody. He begins to not punish us, but discipline us. I ain't got time to get into that today. In Hebrews chapter 12, we develop a deeper trust in who He is. All right. The motive... The motive in the New Covenant paradigm is love. Behavior strategies are pursue connection, even when it's scary, painful, or offensive. The goal is connection. In this paradigm, punishment goes away, not because sin goes away, but because in the New Covenant, there is only one response to sin, forgiveness. In the New Covenant, there is only one response to sin. Forgiveness. Y'all right? Can you give me five more minutes? Y'all, y'all right? You don't want to give five minutes? Give me four. You need about four hours to lay this out. I'm not gonna do it. So don't get everybody getting scared right now. Let me say this. In the New Testament, there's only one response to Sin and that is forgiveness. Now, let me say this because you have been forgiven and I have been forgiven by a great God who is full of love, what do I owe my neighbor? Forgiveness. Because I have been forgiven, what do I owe my person in my family, in my church family, and my neighbor? Forgiveness. Oh Lord, that means I got to forgive you. That means you got to forgive me. I've had to pull that out for the Catherine. Listen, you ain't got no choice but forgive God forgave you. I'm trying to help you, fellas. You can use the Bible. I'll tell you, I can show you the scriptures. Corinthians. I go to Corinthians and (laughs) I'm not let me quit. (laughs) Listen to this. Romans chapter 3. We'll close with this. Man, I'm telling you. Romans chapter 3 Let's look at verse 21 But now independently of the law The righteousness of God is tangible And brought to light through Jesus The anointed one This is the righteousness That the scriptures prophesy Would come It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. For there is really no difference between us. For we have all sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Would we not all agree with that in here? You with me? Huh? Yet, through his powerful declaration of acquittal, what? did I, I, I? Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, you're not guilty. Come on. We watch these high-profile trials. I ain't got time to get on OJ. We can't believe it. I can't. It's the glove. Remember that? Man, I ain't got time to get on OJ. Huh? Can't believe it. God has pronounced over us not guilty. You can't believe that about yourself. I I know. God has pronounced over us what? Not guilty. But why is there so many believers living in guilt? People go through a divorce, and the church turns them out because they had a a divorce. That, That happens, friend. Catholic priest wants to get married, and he gets married, and he's turned over outside the fellowship of the church because he broke the church's rules. You all right? Now listen to this, we, we, we're done right here, I'm trying to finish. I'm trying to land a plane. Listen to this, yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness, his gift. And love and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from what? Guilt, punishment, and the power of sin. Now I'm going to read you something right here, I'm going to close with this, I'm going to read you a story. It's take me three minutes to read this. Now think about in light of what we learned today. Let's think about this, what we learned, and how we are to show our children the, the, how we to show our children about a good father. And I could stand up here for the rest of the day repenting to my oldest son about, he's seen the highs and lows. He's also seen a dad that's got angry. I hate to say that, but he's also seen me in, seen me in my anger. I'm guilty. But I'm trying to learn. Are you with me? So think about this. I'm just trying to tell you another way that we've tried to control our kids. And I had a dream the other night, and I shared with Stanton this. I think one of the things, I think in our wisdom as parents, we look back and see the things that we got into, and we believe there's a fear in our heart that when our children leaves our presence, they're going to do the same thing we did. But I told Stanton in a dream that I had, and God showed me in a dream, I said, we've got to start believing that there's a generation coming that can walk it out. I said, we've got to believe that there's a generation that can walk it out. We must believe the gospel in which we hold in our hands, that the power of the preaching of the gospel and the power of the righteousness on their lives, that a teenage boy and a teenage girl can go out on a date and not have sex before they come home. I ain't got about five people that really believe that in here. I said, we've got to start believing that. Come on. All right. Listen to this. I want to read you this story right here. One Friday night when my son Taylor was 16, he didn't come home. His curfew was midnight. And at 1 a.m., I texted him asking him, asking when he would be home. No answer. At 3 a.m., I text, are you on your way home or should I call the cops? Nothing. When I got up in the morning just before 7, I asked Sherry, is Taylor in his bed? No, she confirmed. He didn't come home last night. Immediately, Sherry began calling every single parent of Taylor's friend's trying to find, try and find out where he might be. Just the sort of call every parent loves to wake up to on a Saturday morning. An hour later, Taylor walked in the front door. I met him with an outstretched hand and calmly. My dad's hand would have been outstretched, (laughs) but it would have been calmly. (laughs) Stretched out a hand and calmly said two words, keys and phone. As he handed them over, Taylor launched into excuses. I fell asleep at Jake's house. I didn't have a charger. Like a kid ain't got no phone charger. He might not have a toothbrush or deodorant, but he got a phone charger. <laughs> I didn't have a charger and neither does Jake. I guess they got like unlimited life on their phone. There was no way for me to call. I remained wordless, looking at him until he gave up and headed for his bedroom. Five hours later, at one in the afternoon, Taylor reemerged in his underwear, looking like a refugee from a prison camp. Apparently, after sleeping all night at Jake's, he'd still been exhausted. I took one look at his face and thought, that is not the kid I want to talk to. That kid doesn't have a problem. That kid is nowhere near repenting or anything. That kid is a victim. Man, I'm telling you. I remained silent, and after a while, he returned to his room. At 3 p.m., one of Taylor's friends called our landline. Seconds after Taylor picked up the phone, I watched the refugee transform back into an animated teenager. Oh, dude, I forgot. That was today. All uh, all right, okay. Apparently, his friend had reminded him that they had had a big video game tournament planned for that night. They had even bought matching shirts for it. The tournament was supposed to begin at 7, so Taylor had four hours to try to turn his situation around. Fifteen minutes later, he had showered, dressed, and returned to the living room with his most charming smile pointed at Sherry and me. Now, that's the kid I want to talk to right there, I thought. He wants something. He has hope. Hey, Dad, Taylor said, I was just wondering if we could talk. This was what I had been praying for. I led him out the back, out, the back out, out to the back patio and asked quietly, what did you want to talk about? Oh, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for not coming home last night. Okay. Why does that matter? Taylor looked stumped. I don't know. I just thought, I mean, you want me to come home at night? I was supposed to come home. Well, what are you sorry about? I'm sorry that I didn't come home. He looked confused. Tay, I guess I just don't understand what you're apologizing for. My tone was calm and quiet and curious. I'm apologizing because I didn't come home. And I'm supposed to. Why does that matter? I don't know. I just thought it did. Well, I'm really not sure what you're apologizing for. Taylor grown with frustration. Why are you making this so hard? He says. You're the one who wanted to apologize. I'm just wondering what you're apologizing for. You can't even tell me why. So I'm not sure what we're doing out here. At this point, our conversation was interrupted by a phone call from my lawyer. I have to take this call, I told Taylor, but I'll come back. When we finally reconvened, it was 5 5 p.m., and Taylor was starting to look a little desperate. Okay, Dad, I'm sorry, he began You guys were probably worried and didn't know if I was dead or alive or anything. And that was causing a lot of stress. I'm sorry for that. Why does it matter if we're up all night worried about where you are oppressed? Why does that matter? I feel like I'm somebody in your office and you're just asking me all the questions. He burst out. I've heard that. Taylor, I don't understand why you don't understand what the problem is. I don't know know what the problem is. I don't know what to say. Do you want some help with that? Taylor, up paused, yes. Okay, well, Taylor, I'll just tell you how I experienced how I experienced you. I began looking directly at him. My tone's still low and gentle. I feel so disrespected and so reduced in the value of your life. It is so hurtful. I feel like when you sort through the priorities of things that you're going to take care of, I'm down there around 20, and I don't understand how that happened. I don't know how mom and I fell to 20 on your priority list. But last night was an example of that. It seems like you're going to take care of 20 things before you take care of me and mom. Do you feel like that, Taylor asked, eyes wide? Yeah, I feel like that. Last night was a glaring example of the value and priority of our, of our relationship to you. He shook his head. Well, that's not true. You and mom are the most important people in my life. Last night was not an example of that. I repeated. Well, I'm sorry about that, he said sincerely. I'm sorry for being disrespectful, and, th- and that will never happen again. I looked at him with a, help, with a hopeful smile. That's really all I need to hear. Do you want your phone and keys? An hour later, Taylor took off to his video game tournament, and he never stayed out all night again. Listen to this. What happened in this story? First, I'll point out what didn't happen, punishment. I didn't take Taylor's keys and phone to pay him back for scaring and hurting Sherry and me. It didn't. I did it to create leverage by introducing a consequence for his poor choice. I wanted to remind him of the value and importance of his relationship with us. So I attracted his attention by hanging on something he cared about which happened to be direct benefits of having us as parents. Until he was willing to push through the tension and pain, find the problem, take personal responsibility and ask for forgiveness. Listen to this. Through punishment, the person never takes personal responsibility. They're just trying to comply with your rules. I've seen this with leader after leader after leader. We've put them in a penalty box because they had a failure, and after six months of penalty box, we've talked about we're going to counsel them. They never take responsibility of what they do. 99% of people will go into the victim mode. When you live like a victim, you are powerless to change your situation. Jesus did not die to make you a victim. He died to make you a victor. When a kid takes responsibility for what they've done, they own up to it. Another thing, punishment puts you as opponents, not as equals. Punishment puts me against you. Come on, are you all right with this? Which is therefore why we see God is against us. Discipline puts us as equals. parent come up to me and says, you know what? I tear his end up four times a day. I don't know why he won't change. You might want to change something what you're doing. Maybe tearing his end up ain't getting through. Well, no, it, let me tell you this. It's this the way my dad said, well, you ain't tore it up right. <laughs> huh? you know, I didn't live the life like some claim they lived, you know, said that their parents gave them time out. You know, time out was how long he was knocked out by his father. But I'm telling you this, friend, we got one shot with our children to show them what God's really like. I remember listening to a story. I'm done. We're closing right here and we're going to eat. But it, I was listening, This was this was probably six, maybe six years ago. I was listening to a Message by Bill Johnson. And he said that there's two times gifts are given, real big gifts are given at his house. One is on his birthday, and the other one is at Christmas. But except at Bill's birthday, Bill doesn't just get the gifts, everyone in his family gets a gift. And he said he could hear his grandchildren enter on the couch. And said one of the grandkids said, What are you asking Papa for his birthday? And he said this we got one opportunity to model what the Father's heart really looks like. Let me tell you this. Every time we isolate someone in our body because you see them for what they've done in the past or you see them for what your perceived perception of they're doing wrong and you isolate that person into punishment, you're proven to your body of believers and to God that you're in an old covenant mindset. That's so good. The reason why, the reason why what most people project on another body of people is their own projection of their own heart. So maybe when we get back into this, we're going to go and we're going to talk about where, where the disciples wanted to punish Samaria because they didn't receive Jesus and they was going to call fire down on it. You with me? And Jesus said, hey, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. Go to Romans 8. It'll show you there's two places. There's two spirits you can be of. One is the spirit of adoption settled in the sonship. The other one is the spirit of slavery under fear. And when we operate out of fear, out of our heart, that is not the spirit of God. Nor is that the Holy Spirit showing you that. You with me? And so then when Jesus told us this, this is just homework in Matthew 7. He said, you want, to deal, you want to deal with the speck in your brother's eye, but you can't seem to understand that there's a beaming pole in your own eyes. The Passion translates that, that there's blind spots in our eyes. And I'm telling you, it's the fear of punishment that are creating blind spots in our eyes that has caused our discernment to be wrong. Now listen to this. I'm done with this. But discernment, if you look at that word in the Greek, it means the ability to between, to judge between two things. It is not the ability to judge someone. Most people's judgment or discernment in the church is judging someone. If you hear somebody judging someone and wanting to punish them, it is not the heart of God and it is not the Holy Spirit. Come on. Catherine says, say it again, if you discern and you judge someone, that word discernment is the the ability to judge between two things, not someone as guilty. When you do that, you're not operating out of the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of fear in your own heart. And Paul referred to that as the operation of the flesh. We got to get out of here. Tom, just stand up. People hungry, I'm hungry. We'll get back in there again. Have you enjoyed the word? All right. So let's pray. Father, let's pray just the Lord fill our hearts with love right here. Father, we just ask you right now by the Holy Spirit that you would fill and baptize our hearts with love. God, I pray that you would, you would remove all the blind spots in in our hearts, God, of fear and, and, Lord, control where we try to control people. I pray, God, that you would remove that from us. God, help us to walk in an authentic love for each other. God, nothing fake. God, help us to walk in authentic love for one another. Give us a grace to overlook faults and failures of others, God. Give us a grace to forgive ourselves of our own faults and failures. Don't let us be held down to the bondage of guilt, shame and the past. The past is simply that. All of our sins are forgiven. We have been rendered. We have been fully acquitted by you, Father. I thank you for that. If any man sins, he has an advocate with the Father. We got the best lawyer that ever stood. He better than Perry Mason. Come on, somebody. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have rendered us. You have rendered us not guilty and you have rendered us as adopted sons where by we cry, Abba, Father, fill our hearts with the love of God. I pray a fresh baptism and a fresh assurance of the love of God in this room this morning and in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, let us live this week anxiety-free, guilt-free, and punishment-free. Let us live this week feeling worthy of love and glory because of you. Not because of my goodness, but because of you. When I look in the mirror, help me be excited about what what. what I see in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. God bless you all. We'll see you here Wednesday night. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.